This is the talk on karma in Brussels, the 30th of May, and we shall start now. As I go through these talks, you will learn more Sanskrit terminology. I utilize the Hindu and, and Buddhist philosophy, but specifically the Buddhist philosophy, and integrate it with the Alice Bailey teachings and the Blavatsky that the School of Ageless Wisdom, as it's called. And um, then we can go into the other religions or philosophies or myths, whatever is needed, and science, and if that is used. So today is really a, the beginning, the, the proper beginning of, of the course. And so in many ways I will set some of the terminology that is used throughout the course, such as, for instance, the word samskara. Now, a samskara is a tendency what was developed in the past life and which you carry through into this life and pushes you, gives you the urges to think or act in a certain way. So the samskara is that which you've developed in a past life which carries through in the now. I'll go more into this later. And of course the word karma most people understand. Karma just means action. It's a Sanskrit word that means action. And every action produces a reaction. And the law of karma is based on this, or the law of um, reincarnation, rebirth. Now, those of you that uh, need want to read up more on reincarnation, you can, of course, look at it in my book, my particular book, which is Karma and the Rebirth of Consciousness, is um, based on, on the Buddhist philosophy and it's explaining some of the problems with the Buddhist philosophy. And many that believe in reincarnation, some of them have this, this um, view, which is called, uh, this is the big word, metempsychosis. But translated, it means the belief that the human consciousness can be born into animals. Mm-hmm. And Plato has this uh, type of concept. No, no, the soul can incarnate into animals. Mm-hmm. So a human being can incarnate into dogs, pigs, cows. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is uh, the, the Buddhist and Hindu belief. And many others sometimes have this belief. We call it metempsychosis. And in my book... I spend a long, quite a lot of pages explaining the impossibility of this. It just does oh, not happen. Oh, great. At least uh, there is a common point with Severia here. Yes. Um, it's just not possible. And so this book is aimed for the Buddhist, and I give um, uh, more about 40 pages of explaining all the rules and laws as to why this type of um, concept of rebirth into animals is not possible. So, uh, so there's anyway those of you that want to look at the book, you can. If there's if anyone's interested in other books, uh, a very good book uh, is by uh, Hedden Cranston called Reincarnation: The Phoenix Fire Mystery. It's Warner Books. It used to be called uh, Reincarnation and was published by the Theosophic Society. There's other books which we can go into, but um, you know, it's up to you. I presume that everyone that, that is here believes in reincarnation. I don't particularly want to go into yes, no. all of the proofs as to why they read, you know, there's a lot of people out there that have no concept of it or have a materialistic viewpoint or uh, believe in the Christian you know, one soul and you go to heaven forever or hell. Uh, so, but there are some good, good reasons for believing in reincarnation. One of them is the concept of precognition. Precognition means that you can foretell the future. So you have an idea, so you get an impression in your mind, intuition, that something is going to happen, and it happens. And this is um, because you know, of the, the law of reincarnation. And you get uh, deja vu, that you've been here before. And this, again, is um, based on the fact that you have been there before. 
you get images of your, in your mind of, of past life experiences. And sometimes people just make this as some weird remembrance. So it's remembrances of the past life. Now, so there's these types of experiences. And now, of course, with modern psychology, like Dr. Helen Wombach, who's written a book, Life, Life Before Life. She's a, psychologi- a psychologist and they do hypnotism and they do um, past life regression hypnotism. And so people come and under hypnotism, they explain their rebirth, some of their, their problems that, that's happened to them from past lives. So the, the modern science of hypnotism also does this. And there's people like Edgar Cayce, which you may have heard of. He is a, called the Sleeping Prophet. He, he was a Christian and didn't believe in reincarnation, but every time he went into a trance, he just spoke of reincarnation and rebirth. So there's all sorts of background philosophy to, to reincarnation. So we just take it as granted, as, as the, a factor in life that we've all lived before and that we're evolving to a certain point in the future. Now, the law that drives reincarnation is called karma. And this law of karma is the actions that you've done in the past. Whatever action you've done produces a reaction. And this, the past life actions is what you must pay for in this life, good or for bad. And we, we call it uh, the threefold karma. It's not just the actions done on the physical plane, but it's actions done on the emotional level and mental level as well. You cause the karma for the ill thoughts, the ill will you send to other people, the anger, the spite, the hatred, that all causes karma. You cause karma, and the most ferocious form of karma is done with the mouth, slander, gossip, all the sort of lies that people tell about other people, all this you must pay for. And then you cause the karma through your emotions. You know, when you um, emotionally, you can emotionally berate people. Berate means like attack them um, with um, uh, anger, jealousy. You don't have to actually say it with your mouth. You can send the energy in the energy body. And so this type of energy that's sent from you also has karmic repercussions. Whatever affects another people to make them do something, in one way or the other, you must pay for. And you pay it in this triple way. People don't just suffer karma when they are incarnate. They also suffer karma when they leave their body. In matter of fact, when they leave their body at death, all that they leave behind is the physical body. And then you incarnate into the body of energy, the vital body. And uh, then that is dropped, and then you go into an astral plane. So it is a... And then you after that... The astral body is finally dropped and you go into the mental plane and then eventually get absorbed into the soul. And the soul is the, the incarnating principle. What happens in the life after death, which will be one of my later talks, there is also the karma. You experience the karma of what you did in this life, the type of emotions you have. I'll give you an example, for instance. If you, for instance, are a cigarette smoker and you're addicted to cigarette smoking and every few minutes or hour or something, you've got to have another cigarette. This is a very strong addiction. Well, when you die, when you leave your body behind, that addiction is still on you. You still have that addiction and it's stronger because it's not toned down by the physical body and becomes a health state. Because the, the astral body is trying to grab hold of a cigarette and cannot smoke it, cannot be satiated. And um, so a lot of the path to enlightenment 
concerns the cleansing of these forms of addictions. There's emotional addictions, mental addictions, and physiological addictions. So the karma of your actions follow you from one life to the next. It's what is gears you, or the way that you incarnate and who you incarnate through, the situation that you uh, find yourself in, is based on the karma of your past lives. Generally, for instance, if you had a lot of money, your whole life was just based on making money, being wealthy and you know absolutely selfish. You can be sure that such a person who has basically just stolen from around him um, all that life, the selfishness and materialism, they will be born in the next life in a place like India or Africa in absolute poverty. And they will have to learn what it means to live without those resources. The karma demands that they fix up that selfishness. The karma itself is the law of love. It is the law of love that pushes beings onwards to enlightenment. Now, to properly understand this law of love, you actually have to understand the soul itself, the soul of a human being, which I have to go into again in, in a later one of my later lectures. This uh, particular introductory talk on karma really is a... Uh, I use the term potpourri, I'm not too sure. It's, uh, it's got all of the other talks in it. It all starts from karma, but in order to properly understand karma, you have to understand the, the whole course that follows. And so all of the, the basic terms that, that you'll learn as we go into this um, lecture series is learnt here in this talk on karma. Karma is a, a group law. Group law. It does not... You have to... It also is individual... But the individual karma is... Uh, you and I can have individual karma like you have with husband and wife. You have the karma between each other that you've produced children and so forth and all of those things that you've gone through. And sometimes there's anger and sometimes violence and sometimes a lot of love, all that sharing that comes through it. And you'll find when you go back um, then sometimes the, the husband and wife were maybe enemies in a former life. Sometimes they were brothers, sisters, friends, part of a family. Now, think of the children that are born around you uh, or through you, right? Then you integrate those children with streams of karma, right? That's a, it's, a, it's a family karma here. But then the individual incarnate in a society for instance here we're in Belgium and in Belgium there's specific type of Belgic consciousness it's, you're French, you speak this way uh, and it's different than if you're in English or if you're in India so there's this national karma for instance and within national karma there's group karma you um, go to a school when you're young and you had the calm of all of those people around you, all of those interrelationships. You can see that you manifested all forms of action, reaction with people emotionally all the way as you evolved within the context of the society that you were born into. And so that societal karma is a part of group karma. And within that, you have individual karma. So you then, um, you, karma manifests when there is what we call volition. Volition is when you, your mind, chooses to do something that can go with evolution or against evolution. The difference between us 
and, and animals is that the animals don't have this karma. They do not have human free will. They cannot choose what to do or what not to do. They have instinct that guides them. The instinct makes them do what they must do. A cow is going to eat grass. It's not going to become a lion and so forth. But we can choose to to be peaceful, loving, or we can be angry, we can be aggressive, we can kill another person, we can be generous. All of these things is our choice. But within those individual choice, we find also that we're conditioned by the society of which we are born in. The, and the English word is social mores. Right? So we, we have those conditionings and we can either follow them and follow the group karma or we can go against them to fight against them. In other words, we don't care whether we're Belgic or French or Italian. We say we're part of the human race and we'll um, live accordingly with the principles of humanity rather than nationalism. So there's all this type of karma, and you can see group karma, national karma, brings on the onset of wars, like the First World War, the Second World War. These are karma on a massive scale. And it's based on the national karma of individuals that lived together and had wars, for instance, in the Roman Empire, Everything has to be fixed up, equilibrized. Now, by that I mean that this is what the object of karma is. The law of karma, as I said, is the law of love in action. It is the law of love because the soul, the human soul, is group conscious. And it has no concept such as you or I have of individuality that male, female it one life will send you an incarnation as a male in India next life will send you an incarnation maybe as a, as a female in say Germany and then as a male or female in another country so it has no um, no concept of what you, we think of as male, female, and it's um, therefore lives on a on a a part of a group. Before one individual can come into incarnation, the soul has to meditate upon the parents. What parents are going to bear that karma? It must meditate upon the part of the world it's going to incarnate into. It must meditate upon when it's going to incarnate, when it's going to die. In other words, it has to prevision the future. And before a, it can send itself into incarnation through, in, through the womb of a mother, um, it has to be working with all of the souls together, collectively, that are going to be incarnate together. Otherwise, the word, the karma, cannot manifest. They have to, therefore, think out the future, far, far into the future, of a human civilization. What each individual is going to accomplish, and what that individual is going to accomplish within the group and society that it incarnates. The soul has to think it all out. It has to be meditating continuously before one person can be incarnated. Therefore, it's already worked it all out far into the future and it's worked it out in such a way that eventually people learn to be loving, compassionate, kind. Wisdom is what it's all about. It's to develop wisdom. And the soul works with all of the past actions of what in, in my books 
and in Buddhism it's called the consciousness stream. See, it's when you think of your mind, and you really are minds, your minds incarnating or using this physical body, a physical vehicle, when you understand that it's your mind that determines how you're going to act, your minds, your emotions, your emotions working with the mind. But this mind, it's always evolving. It's carried through from life to life. When you see the stream of thoughts from minute to minute, and as you understand in the domain of mind, we don't look at seconds. It's just simply a stream of thoughts. And this consciousness stream that produces volitions, actions, through the body and in relationship to the emotions. From all of those past lives, the, that is stored in the collective consciousness of the soul itself. And it chooses out of all of that what is to be expressed in a particular life. In relationship to how it is evolving on its own level towards liberation, towards enlightenment. Collectively, all souls are looking and working for the future. And the human unit, this stream of consciousness, is being directed towards a future perfection, a future perfectment, what's we call liberation. Depending on where a human unit is, and everyone is at a different stage of evolution, there's you know, people that are quite savage and undeveloped, and then there's people with quite a lot of inherent love, and then people with strong intellects. They're all at different um, evolutionary development. And the soul itself is at a different level of development. It is not, not, not all the souls are the same. They have, um, that they've evolved from a basket work stage right through to a being of great luminescence and light. Later on we'll explain this to you. But this concept of evolutionary perfection is what allows the future to be predicted by seers, by enlightened beings, by anyone. Sometimes you can get an impression that if you do this, produce such and such, you get your intuition of what to do. The intuition is coming from the soul and it's one of the proofs of reincarnation or there's life after death. So it pushes you on towards what the soul itself within the kingdom of souls sees as their evolutionary perfection. Now, each of you have to understand that this human body is an illusion. It is what we call samsara. It lives in this world of illusion because everything is always changing. Nothing stands still. Each of us can remember when we are children and uh, we've gone through the adolescent stage and, you know, young uh, manhood, girlhood or whatever, and all of those things we've gone through and we've had our children and we're still living. But we've seen the changes and we know we're going to die. This death-birth cycle of illusionality is called samsara. It's just a quick term to understand that this is not real. It's... Um, phenomenal and the the soul itself is the real it is relatively real it itself is going through changes but on its own level and what you really are are souls incarnate into bodies that you've the term I use is appropriated from the diva kingdom the angelic kingdom which I'll, I'll explain later on what they are. So this substance which you've incarnated into is matter, 
in, in the book of Genesis, the clay of the earth. And the consciousness is using it for a purpose. It's temporary and it changes, adapts and evolves wisdom, which is the purpose of it all over time. Over many, many lives. It's quite important for everyone, if they're looking at this concept of karma, to have an understanding of what a human soul is and how it evolves. As I said, this will be a subject of a later talk. And it, it's actually quite a, a, a beautiful experience. The soul itself resides in the higher realm of the mind, the abstract mind. In, um, in the Zaberio teachings, the mental superior uh, this higher domain of mind. And uh, human beings have to learn to develop the links to the soul. And as you develop the links to the soul, you become enlightened. You become soul conscious. Until the human mind and the mind or the consciousness of the soul are at one, there's no difference. And then you can see your past lives and see the future and have many of those powers and awarenesses. It's a job, but it's quite achievable, and this is the process of meditation. This is what meditation produces in the, in the end. So, when you look at this group evolution, most beings seem to think that they've never ever had Incarnations where they may have been soldier and murdered people or killed people or murderers or any of these types of things. They, they seem to think that somehow they've been angels in their past lives. Uh, but in reality, when you go back, what, everything that happens to you is because of actions you've had in past lives. And some of them, some of these samskaras that you've developed, are good samskaras. They, because you're here, you want to know. You've, you've been given, you have a, a burning urge to know, to learn about life. But for most beings, um, their samskaras are purely involved with materialism, with having a good time. And they don't want to know about anything else but a good time. And they'll take everything around them in order to make them themselves a good time, they're selfish, materialistic. These types of samskaras produce very, very bad karma. Bad karma because it produces pain and suffering, because you've caused much pain and suffering. And later on you'll also find the, the sources of sickness and disease um, lay in this foundation of what people call having a good time. So with, um, I'm mainly concerned with discipleship, with beings or people who are interested in enlightenment, interested in gaining the soul, identification of the soul. And I'm mainly talking to these people. I'm not so much concerned with the average people that just want to have a good time, that don't care too much about what's happening around them. Uh, the more money they have, the better it is for them, and everything else doesn't matter. Um, these types of people uh, are not here for a good reason. So the, the karma of disciples the types of sicknesses and diseases of, of discipleships, the types of transformation of consciousness that makes you enlightened and wise and wiser is what we're talking about and what I'm concerned with here. And very often, the, the more advanced you are, the more you've been involved in ritual magic in past life, in religion... Ritual means ceremonial magic from past lives. And you were often uh, clergy, priests, uh, celibate uh, or nuns um, involved in religion. And sometimes uh, you were quite often very fanatical, religionist, Catholic or Protestant back in the days when they were busy killing each other in Europe, you know, the wars of religion. Uh, you could have been involved in the witch burning, you know, the 
inquisitional period of Europe, very fanatical. And of course, in places like India, the same sort of thing, but then yogi, yogin, you do very ascetic yogic practices, or you're a Buddhist monk, or a wandering uh, sadhu. So this is the type of background that the those that are involved in religion that have this burning knowledge to learn uh, have the karma from, and there are specific types of diseases and mental attitudes that have to be fixed up from these lives. Often, for instance, I'll give you an example with regards to this sort of thing. If you were, say, we're going back, say, two hundred years ago, a fanatical Christian. By fanatical, I mean deeply involved in a particular Christian sect. Let's say uh, Roman Catholic, mm-hmm. right? And you were very Catholic, and you 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 thought that the Protestants were going to hell, and uh, you know you may have been a Jesuit priest or something like that, and uh, you you thought you know you, you were willing to torture or capture the Protestants because they were bound to the devil because it was not your philosophy it was not the religion the bible said that only catholics that that confessed to their to their priest um, you know bless me father for i have sinned you know these are my sins and this type of attitude could go to heaven so you understand now you're very religious quite fanatical now one way that the soul will fix up this type of fanaticism will be, for instance, be born, say, in this day and age, as a materialistic scientific thinker. You now think that science is everything, is God, that you're atheistic. But it's the same fanaticism. They don't believe in God, they don't believe in religion, they believe in science and materialism. Only what logic tells you. And they will not listen to what you have to say about God. They're still close-minded, like the Christian was, like the Catholic was. But the religion is now turned into science. Same thing. And this is what is called a samskara. It's this um, in your Zeberia would be the energy field. The energy is pushing your the quality that you developed in a former life to manifest a certain type of attitude of mind in this life. So the energy flows on from a past life and it produces a similar energy effect in the body or in the mind, but this time within the new civilization, the new culture that you're born into. You can see, for instance, if you are um, a Jew in a past life, and you follow that religion or a Muslim very, very strongly and you believed in the burqa. You know what the burqa is? is the veil that women have to wear and that you could have four wives. And this was your religion and that you are male. Very often the karma of that type of thinking would be that they would be born as a woman in the Muslim religion or, say, the Hindu religion where there's very severe constraints made upon them by the society. They could not do this, 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 this or this because they have to suffer the karma of their attitudes that they manifested upon women. Now, if um, they also was born like this, then in a, in a next life, the same attitude comes through but the karma works out that they have to pay for those attitudes. They must um, in this particular, I just gave an example where, for instance, they are born as a woman to pay for their attitude of the way they mistreated women. That is the way the, work, the karma works. It simply is the law of karma. Action produces reaction and everything that happens in the past life, uh, everything that you do in the past life must work out in the present and the future in such a way that you must atone for what you did wrong and be given the chance to work out the, the a better, higher way of thinking. Eventually you must become an enlightened person. 
And therefore, you are born as a woman in order to suffer what you caused a woman to suffer. And as a consequence, you learn to be more compassionate to women. The law of karma works out, as I said, as the law of love. It works out always in such a way that you're given a chance to learn from your mistakes from the past. You must suffer what you did wrong to another person or to any of the kingdoms of nature. You must suffer that. You must suffer um, your wrong mental, emotional or physiological actions. And But it works out in such a way that you can learn from the way you suffer. For instance, it's quite clear to understand, and most people know, that, for instance, if I punched somebody in the nose, I, the karma will be that sometime in the future I will have to suffer a blow to the nose. It will have to manifest in such a way that an equal pain is given to me as what I gave to that individual. The same individual that I punched in the nose does not have to punch me in the nose. It can be, for instance, a tree branch falling in my nose or being in a car and, and suddenly stopping the car and banging the nose on the window. It does not matter. Whatever causes that pain, or if the nose was broken, then my nose must be broken. Um, whatever causes the pain in it from the past life, you must experience. But in this life, it always works out in a way that when you experience it, you have a chance to learn something from it. That is the way the soul works it out. And therefore, if... Uh, no, as I said before, it, male, female, it's irrelevant. What the soul is interested in is how the karma can work out so that the individual can develop the qualities the soul is seeking for its own liberation, for its own development. And these qualities are along the line of love that produce wisdom, that um, produce um, high spiritual aspiration. Could, could we say we have to put right which we have gone, we have done wrong before? Yes, that that Instead is of using suffer is very much a Christian aspect of. Yes, you put you have to put right where you put wrong before. This is what I mean by learning. You have to learn to put right, but. You do that so experiencing exactly what you I, cause pain to I, others. I, um, I accept uh, all what you're saying, but I don't like. Um, I feel like I'm in the church now a little bit, <laughs> and I had to hear, hear a priest about you have to suffer. I don't. I don't. Well, it's not just suffer. You you suffer, and you also get all the good experiences of your past life. It's not just suffering. If you cause a lot of goodness and help, and um, and you were very generous in your life, then you will find that the karma will work out in that way till you get the good and the bad of your past life experiences. If you cause a lot of suffering. To other people, then you will suffer. If you cause a lot of happiness and joy to other people by giving to them their needs, then you will get the benefit from that. I think uh, oh, this it's is kind of different of pain, huh? um, because karma is what I think is also um, to liberating the soul. It's also in a process of detachment. And it's also a sort of pain, but it does not have to be that you have to be a bad person in another life. To it's not that you're going to be a bad person, it just simply is that you will suffer whatever you caused another person to suffer. That is the law of karma. There is no other way to define it. This is the law of energy. To every action there is an equal and opposite reaction. That is a law of physics. It is a basic law of physics um, as one of Newton's um, three main laws. And the law of karma is this. 
to every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Another law of physics is every um, body continues in a state of rest or uniform motion unless it is applied by uh, another force. And the same with the law of karma, you move on in this motion until another force or a force impacts upon you. This law of karma is simply the law of physics applied in human emotions, human mind, and in the physical plane. And it follows you after you die, and it continues, depending on the way that the soul works it, for your future lives. And the future life will eventually turn you into a Christ or a Buddha, because of the way you have responded to the teachings that karma gives you. Now, the Buddha's Four Noble Truths is based on this. It starts off like this. Everything is transient. Everything is impermanent, illusional. People suffer because they attach to that which is illusional. This is inevitable. When you the methodology of gaining happiness is to not be attached to that which is illusional. And the method is the, the eight noble eightfold path. Now, the same is with karma. You attach yourself to that which is transient, you will suffer. You adapt with the transience, you will gain in consciousness. But with the law of karma, it is... Whatever you do, in thought, word or deed, you must pay the consequences. The energy that you put out must come back to you. And it must come back to you with equal and opposite force until you, you gain in consciousness to not do that again. And what do you do instead? You learn how to be compassionate. You learn how to make other people happy. You learn how to make the kingdom of nature happy. You no longer respond in a way that causes suffering. Because you've learned that if you cause other people suffering, you will be made to suffer until eventually you only give love. And that is the basis of the law of love. Because you have suffered so much and you've given so much suffering to others and they've given that back to you that eventually you say enough I will only give that which makes people happy and when that's given back to you that is the beginning of your liberation this is what karma teaches you and it's worked out in such a way to make you pay for that which you've given to others but it's not just that if, for instance, I'll give you an example. You, you look around here and all of these people and yourselves, probably included, like to live in lovely apartments um, or in buildings um, that like to be self-contained. Now, most of these people here in the West, and now I've lived in India for over 10 years, I've seen the absolute slums, people in the gutter. You, you have no idea, you know, people just rags on them. You know, even naked, because they have nothing else. Dirt and... Now, they have to suffer the karma of being cruel and selfish and materialistically powerful and taking money from everyone else. This is the way their soul teaches them what not to do. But most of these people here... In the West, when you go back, what were they? Well, you go back 200 years, and what do you have? You have some very powerful, noble people, dukes, um, you know, and barons and chevaliers, you know, all the you know, kings, queens, that whole court of Louis the Fourteenth or whatever, and underneath them were millions of suffering poor people working and working in, in or slavery almost, and they were slaves as well. So they worked all their time getting almost nothing so that these very rich people, these kings and queens and dukes and barons could have their castles 
Huh? Now, these people, the karma of having being so poor and working all their lives is to have this what like this affluence in the West. They have a relatively easy lifestyle with lots of material goods around them, their own form of castle, because they gave out so much in those lives, being serfs, peasants, um, the, 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 the basic labourers, um, where the labour was not worth hardly anything, and the people that ruled them took it all. But the people that ruled them then you get them in India on the streets with almost nothing on to wear begging because they have to learn the meaning of money, the value of money, to not be selfish. This is the way the law of karma works. So if you spend your life building around you this palace of opulence, always being selfish, always taking from others, you can be sure your next life will be in the streets of India or in Africa begging. I think the rich man uh, should take responsibility for uh, for poverty and uh, and the and the world. And the way you explain it, it seems to me personal that you can you can say it's their own fault. Uh, they should not have been so selfish. Uh, lost uh, life. And I, I don't... I, I the rich man should take the responsibility. They should, they, they should they learn should to give. But if you... If, share. Uh, they should, but it does not work that way. And most people are not very good at sharing. Most people are only good at producing around themselves as much wealth and opulence and, you know, rich lifestyle as they can possibly get. And they'll only give maybe to their children. Yes, but like you are telling it, it seems to me that one can think, okay, that's their own fault, we don't have to do anything. No, they must, you, no, have, no. We have good life. No, 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 so no, no. If you decide to think like that, we have a good life, then your soul will make sure your next life is going to be full of hardship. It's going to be very, very hard. You have to learn to give. You have to learn to... Um, to share your resources with everyone else. Now you take Jesus for instance. Jesus 2,000 years ago was asked by a rich man what can I do to enter the kingdom of heaven? He said, take all your wealth and give it to the poor. Follow me. That's the way to enter the kingdom of heaven. You give everything to help everyone around and follow Jesus. Follow the teachings of the living Christ that leads you to the highest revelation and this is the way it is with the law of karma it is hard for for those of you that um, live in the, in the material world to understand this particular teaching this particular story of this rich man he went away and said you know what can I do the whole deriving energy from life to life is karma it's samskaras Right? Without the samskaras, without the karma, then what do you have? An immaculate birth every life and it dies and you have nothing afterwards? Yet life after death is karma. There's heaven states, hell states, purgatory states. Every religion speaks of these things. And that is based on karma. And then from those hell, heaven, purgatory states, you go back into a physical body carrying with you the burden of what you've reaped and sown from a past life. Good or bad, you must carry it onwards to produce new fruits, new actions, new forms of karma, till eventually you become a Buddha, till eventually you become a Christ. If it's only one life, one karma for one life, You'll never become a Buddha, never become a Christ, never become an enlightened being, never become a yogi, never do anything. Because it's just the same as being a Catholic or those people that believe only in one life. There's no difference. I go to heaven forever and ever. No, 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 no. But... Every action of your thoughts, 
words or deeds. Your emotions, your mind and your physical action is karma. The whole direction of your knowledge base is the karma of the way you have fought in your past lives, the way your thoughts have been attached to your emotions and the way you've manifested those things physically. If you... uh, generated good thoughts, producing good deeds in past lives, it will continue and continue. But there is also certain types of thoughts that can be circuitous, means going on and on and on, selfish and so forth. The karma works out so that eventually your thoughts becomes compassionate, eventually become, makes you wise. As the Buddhists say, Eventually, every being will become a Buddhist. Even the most evil on this planet will eventually become a Buddhist. But it's directed by karma. Karma is the law, the governing dynamo, the mechanism, the energy. And the developed samskaras is what you must transform, transmute, in order to eventually become wise. These tendencies from the past life come through into the present and push on to the future. You cannot simply um, develop new tendencies in this life. No, you are highly emotional, highly strong. Some people are very violent from birth. They develop violence even though they may have very gentle parents because of some scars from the past life. have developed this in them. Some people are very gentle Children are gentle, other children are violent. And they did not develop it in this life. It is what they took from a formal life, pushing them on. I do not agree completely with Bodo when he said we have to suffer because I found the term a bit too strong. Okay, the other thing to, um, I'll add, with regards to this process of suffering, if people live in a pleasure palace, you know, I mean, by pleasure plus, it means everything around them, they're born very wealthy, they have everything they want, uh, you know, wine, women, and song, and basically people are not motivated to learn anything until they have suffering, until they get sick, then they work out, this pain is too much, what's going to cause me, uh, how, what should I do to fix up the pain? Um, they go to doctors. If they have problems with their um, psychology, with their emotions, they go to doctors. They try to fix these things up, right? If um, there's you know people that abuse them, they they suffer from that. They try to fix up how to overcome the suffering. This is the quickest way that people learn. If people were in a war situation, uh, you know, I think none of us can remember the Second World War, but, you know, I was born after it, but the the suffering is immense. People are dying. People think about death. They think about the cause of death. They think about why all this madness is going on. This is what makes them think, makes them aspire to help others, makes them become more wise. Not just pleasure. If it's just pleasure, 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 people are not motivated to learn anything. That's the same. You have to learn. And it's through experience, through personal experience that you learn. And obviously when you when you miss something, you look for it and you react to the, to the lack of something and that makes you move ahead. That is right. That, but that, that's the same. That is right. That's, uh, that's I mean, what I call the suffering factor. You, you look for nothing because you have all material things and you are not motivated at all. Um, but that's, yeah, but that's... Uh, and, and it's the karma, the karma that pushes you, as I said, it works out the individual, the individual so that eventually through this concept of suffering, through this concept of not having what they want, not getting what they want, of 
life's hardships, the, the, the hardships of, of living in a, in a normal lifestyle, they have to develop their, their minds, they have to overcome yeah. their personal hindrances, the karma works out that way, and it gives you the suffering factor to motivate you to overcome so that you become wiser, you become yeah, more loving. But that's exactly the same. Um, but uh, that, that's the same line of thought, exactly the same, the philosophy. But um, I think it, it, it stems from different different positions, yeah. and it doesn't. It's different. Yes. Well, as I said, what I give you is a Buddhist and the Alice Bailey line of thinking, the Alice Bailey Blavatsky line, of what's called the esoteric tradition. Mm -hmm. That fusion, and you have this other background of Siberia, which can help um, for you to mm -hmm. to to understand and how the two integrate. Uh, but this this particular philosophy which I teach you is very much on the mind. I'm writing right now, and we're getting published, a, a treatise on mind. It's called A Treatise on Mind. It's over 2,000 pages of philosophy on what the mind is and everything to do it. The Buddhists, their forte, the word forte is their expertise, is the mind. Right? That's what the Buddha taught. So the, the, the whole philosophy of what the mind is, what the mind is not, how it evolves, is what you're learning from me. The, I'm not so much concerned about the energy body, but we, we have the term. There's another term here I could write down. Um, I'll just put it in this pencil form. It's um, nadi. Uh, nadi is um, channel of energy. But that is sunyata, void emptiness. Yeah. Shunyata is, I haven't gone into shunyata here, but shunyata is the goal or the effect of all of this karma. When karma is fully resolved, merged into its primal source. We call this emptiness. It's got nothing to do with the mind. It is beyond the mind itself. When it's it's uh, when, when it's Oculus, I'm empty as you are. Yeah. I, can you repeat, please? I don't understand. The the emptiness is is what we call shunyata. The the when, when karma is finished. Karma is finished. Yeah. The ending of karma. It's a, when the mind no longer is there. And what is revealed when the mind is not active? Shunyata. It's, it's the void. It's emptiness. Um, it's, it's this space of absolute... That we, sometimes it's, it's likened to a serene, calm ocean. It's just absolute quiescent bliss. And it's a state of pure energy. It's more than that. It's the enlightened mind. And this emptiness is what the whole objective of karma is to produce you to. And from the state of emptiness comes the, the enlightened mind of all the great ones, the Buddhas. So we will learn more about, about these terms later. So you understand, therefore, that what I'm helping you, for you to integrate this philosophy which you already are well established in, into the mainstream religion, but the religion now is Buddhism, Hinduism, the ageless wisdom that was given by the masters for the Westerners to learn. Even Christianity. Also. Even Christianity, yes. So, this, so we're bringing it all into one package, one philosophy, and you'll learn much as as you go and do this course. It'll be good for you if you do look at the website, which I've introduced you to from, from this, get into the computer, um, type in universaldharma.com, and listen to some of my videos and listen to some of the talks that we've given, um, and you know read up a little bit that you need, and to get you a little bit more background to the talks that I give, and that will make things easier and faster, so that um, it helps. This um, then Paul will make the, the talks easier, and you'll get used to more Sanskrit terms and.
to learn a little bit of Sanskrit will not harm you. It is a you know the the, the major language of the world's esoteric of philosophies. The Bailey and Blavatsky, uh, well, Blavatsky uses more Sanskrit. Uh, Bailey, I remember Alice Bailey was taught by Master D.K., who was a Tibetan Rinpoche, and he gave her telepathic instructions. Uh, but uh, he himself was Tibetan, and the his other way of thinking was the Sanskrit. Tibetan is based on Sanskrit. The, the Tibetan, the, the um, original Buddhist texts were written in Sanskrit and uh, yes. were taken from India. So it's uh, a very useful just to have the the, the proper uh, uh, those terms. Like um, in one of the talks here, I, I, it's on the diva or diva. Now that's a Sanskrit term, and uh, the English translation is uh, I can use fairies, the angelic kingdom. Um, the Buddhist sounds is where they weaken. They don't have much understanding of the angelic kingdom. They have Dakinis, Gandavas, and these type Asparas, Apsaras, and so you'll learn more about this. Yeah, we have listened to her several times. <laughs> so. The, you get the the um, these teachings from, as I said, look up our website, learn from the tapes. You know, the, the videos are very short, unfortunately. My um, students, 